0: All right, it's a challenge right off the bat. Find the book of Jonah. All right, I'm going to save you the, the trouble. It's page 812. I remember years ago, Jerry Falwell, he had all his folks had to buy his study Bible and that way he could just tell them the page. They didn't have to look it up. And, uh, but it's, it's, it's in there. If you find somebody named Obadiah or it's in there somewhere. If you're seeing stuff like Revelation and Jude, just hang in there, Doc. Book of Jonah. All righty. So glad you're here tonight. Um, where is, where's Mr. Dyer at? Where's, where's Bob at? There you are. Mr. Dyer is a friend of mine. He's really one of my heroes. Um, 20, it'd be 20 years ago in February, he called me, said, we, we need somebody to fill in at our church. Our pastor's gone after 37 years, I need somebody to fill in. I'd like for you to come fill in for a weekend. So I went and filled in for a weekend. He called me back, said, well, We can't afford anybody else, so we want to ask you to come and be with us. We can't afford a real preacher, but we can afford a truck driver, so we want to ask you to come and be with us. And we became dear friends. One of the greatest guys I ever knew. And uh, I don't know if you don't mind me telling this, He, he passed 90 years ago, 90 years old, a long time ago. And uh, just one of the greatest guys I ever met. Dearest wife. You know, Bob, Bob, by his own admission, said he was a hellion like I was. And met his wife, between his wife and Jesus. He's one of the godless men I ever met. Now she turned his life around. Jesus turned his life around her prayed. And she's not doing so well. I want you to remember them and pray for them guys. They're just such a model of faith through the years. And I'm telling you, one of the greatest miracles I ever saw in a church, and I've seen wonderful things happen in churches. We met with the pulpit committee the first time, sat down, I think there were seven people, sat in his living room, and I said, well, tell me about your church. And uh, they're talking to Mr. Dyer, and he's very gracious, very kind. He said, well, I'm not wild about this rock and roll type music they're doing in the church. And I said, this ought to be interesting. And another fellow there, his name was George, and George said, well, Mr. Dyer said the The young people like that stuff. They respond to it. And I thought, this ought to be real good now. And Mr. Dyer said, then I changed my mind. I like it. Greatest miracle I've ever seen in a church. And he said, I'll put in my earmuffs and we'll have a grand time. If it's helping kids, let's play it. And do you know how hard it is to get somebody past 50 to change their mind about anything? (laughs) And, And just been such an encouragement and a blessing. We got the greatest people in the world here. All of you. And I appreciate it so much. All right. What do you know about Jonah? Everybody knows Jonah, fish, Jonah and fish. This is one of the greatest books in the Bible. One of The greatest lessons in the Bible. Let me tell you what the book of Jonah is about. The book of Jonah is about the heart of God. That's right. You will see the heart of God in this book like perhaps no other place in the Bible. I love the book of Jonah. We're going to look tonight at lessons learned from the belly of a big fish. Lessons learned from the belly of a big fish. And you're going to see two things in this book. You see the heart of God and you see the spirit of religion like it's exposed nowhere else. And this is one of the most encouraging books. I had a friend I was talking to after the service Sunday, and uh, he's got a daughter that's just out there. She's gone with the wind. He don't even know where she's at. And I said, listen to me. When you're praying for somebody that's really wayward, especially a wayward child, get in the book of Jonah. It's one of the most encouraging books to build your faith that you can pray, and God will get them where they're supposed to be. And this, you know, everybody thinks about the fish and all that stuff. And a lot of debate in uh, universities about... Did that fish really swallow that man? The man could swallow the big fish if God told him to. That's not the issue at all. It's the heart of God. And it's seen in this book so wonderful. I want us to look tonight. Some lessons we've learned from the book of Jonah. You, you're going to find yourself in here. The book of Jonah. Number one, first lesson I want you to say. Your father created you with a plan in mind. You are not here. He's got a plan for your life. Chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Cry out against it, for the wickedness has come up against me. God had a plan for this life. Listen to me. He's got a plan for your life, too. We don't study this book to learn history. We study this book so God can talk to us and show himself to us. I could take you all through the scriptures and show you that you were created on purpose, and there's a plan for your life, and it's in his heart. My favorite verse in the Bible regarding that is Ephesians 2.10 that says this. We are the creation of God's hand created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God planned before time began that we should live in them. He's got a plan for your life and it is good. And you see, he had a plan to bring Jonah into his activity. He's got one for your life too. I want people more than anything else to get in the center of God's will for their life and find out what he's planned for them because it's good. Lesson number two. Number one, Father created us. Let let me say this about His plan for your life. People have asked me to say, I hear people say, well, God has a plan for your life. Uh, It would be better said like this. God has a plan for humanity and He wants you to be a part of it. But now here's what we know about God's plan for your life. It will involve helping people. Everything He does is to help people and God wants to use you to help people. And this is the reason He called Jonah. He said, this is what I want you to do because I'm going to help some people. And everything He calls you to do is going to be to help people somehow, somewhere. It's all going to be, listen, and that great new song, song that they sang the other day, though your heart may be helping only two or three, light your world. And there's a plan for, for, in the heart of God for all of us to help people. Number two, it is human nature to run from God. It is human nature to run from God. Look with me in verse three. Jonah arose and flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship, going to Tarshish, paid the fare, Went down to go with Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I don't know if you know anything about your geography. It's the opposite direction of where God told him to go. Explain this to me. What is, what is it about us that wants to run from God? Every human being, even Christians, they just sort of, we got this thing that I want to do it my way. Now, there was, it's not about good, bad. It's not about good, bad. It's about my way versus your way. It's about me running my life. I don't, I will, I'll stop cussing. I'll stop drinking. Some. I'll stop... Uh, I'll stop fighting. I'll stop listening to rock music. But I want to run my life. That, that's the key issue. Who's going to get to call the shots? And Jonah didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. You're going to see in just a minute, Jonah says, I'm a worshiper of God. And the captain said to him, if you're a worshiper of God, why are you running from him? <laughs> Dear ones, isn't there something in all of us that just, I want my way. But now can I ask you a personal question? That man created the sunset. And you think you can do better than He can. I don't know what it is about fallen human nature. I will do things knowing I'm going to get in trouble. Instead of letting him drive the boat. There's something about fallen human nature. Listen to what Isaiah chapter 53 says. Everyone has turned to his own way. It's just the nature of humanity to want to do that. Genesis chapter 3 is the first time when the serpent came in the garden and said, God will rip you off if you do it his way, do it your way. And we've been falling for it ever since. All right, let me ask you a question. Why would anybody say no to God? I don't want your way, I want my way. Why would anybody do it? The answer is in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, where it says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. It's blindness. Now, dear ones, I got saved as a young man, 18 years old, and I I wanted to follow God, but I still wanted to do my own thing. All right, I'm 64 years old. I've been through the good, bad, and the ugly. I've failed, I've got up, dusted myself off, backslid, learned, struggled. Let me tell you what I know, at 64 now. You just tell me what you want. I'll jump on it in a heartbeat. It's not because I'm spiritual. I found out how good he is. I found out that his way will always lead. Listen, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. If i fa- listen, it's not about I'll go to church. I'll tithe. It's about run up the white flag. Thou will be done. If you could see, there's a, there's a file on his desk with your name on it. Is that scriptural? If right, there's a file on his desk with your name on it, if you could look inside of there, you would crawl across broken glass to do his will. Yeah. You'd say it's that good. See, religion taught me, well, you got to do it whether you like it or not. You'll hate it. He'll send you to Africa to give tetanus shots to pygmies, but you got to do it. Well, pity me and the poor pygmies that are getting me out there sticking them tetanus shots in. That ain't going to be no fun. There was... I delight to do His will. But something about us just wrestles with, with His will being done regardless. Lesson number three. The Father is serious about His will being done. Yeah. Jonah ran from Him. Guess who ran after Him? I think this is where it gets real cute. I love this right here. I right, said, so Jonah runs from God, verse 3, verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. There was a great storm on the sea, so the ship was about to be broken up people said, well, God would never cause trouble. What's this right here? He sent a storm down on that ship. Listen, it wasn't judgment. He was not mad at Jonah. It wasn't judgment. He is serious about getting you where he means for you to be. And he was serious about getting that man where he meant for him to be. And it's just a hilarious story. Jonah's down in the boat of sleep. Verse five, verse six, the captain came to him and said, what do you mean sleeper? Call on your God. And verse 7, they said, let's cast lots and find out who is causing this mess right here. And, uh, and they, so they cast lots it fell on Jonah and they said, who are you? What have you done? What's your occupation? Verse 9, he said, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made sea in the dry land. Then the men were terribly afraid and said, what did, why have you done this? See, they knew this storm's on our ship because this man's running from God. You listen to me. I love you, but I'm going to tell you the truth. He'll send you a storm and a heartbeat to get you where you're supposed to be. That's true. He put a storm on them. I'm in a truck one night, New York City. Me and a friend of mine, we worked together. We drove back and forth, hauled furniture to New York City, and he knew I'd been in the ministry. And we had a brand new truck, brand new Mack truck, tractor trailer, about $150,000. And we're sitting there, and all of a sudden the sucker wouldn't start. He looked at me, he said, Jonah, He said, I ain't never working with you again. Said, everything tears up. But said, this is the judgment of God on you. I said, you're a gospel singer. Shut up. You don't know nothing about the Bible. (laughs) Do you believe he'll send a storm to get you where you're supposed to be? What's the message right here? Now, listen again, it wasn't judgment. He didn't want to hurt him, but he is serious about getting you where he means for you to be. And he put that storm on that boat. And uh, I'll just, they they said, uh, they said, what can we do? Jonah said, throw me overboard. Throw me overboard. And uh, they said, no. So they tried to row harder. You know what the Bible said? God made the storm stronger. Look right here. Fight him if you want to. I'm going to tell you something. He'll outlast you. Not only that, he's bigger than you are. And finally, they said, Lord, forgive us our sins. They grabbed Jonah. They throwed him over. Excuse me. They pitched him over the edge of the boat. Storm stopped immediately, which tells you what? That was God messing our stuff up right there to get him where he was supposed to be. All right. Listen to me. There are divine storms that come into our lives because God loves us. Yeah. Listen to me. Please listen to me. The spirit of religion teaches different. God does not punish His children. We've got to settle this. A lot of people think God punishes His children. He does not punish His children. You know why God can't punish me? Isaiah 53, Because the Lord hath laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all. Yeah. He punished Jesus at the cross for my sins. You say, well, what's this going on in my life? That's called correction. There's a big difference between punishment and correction. Punishment's because I'm mad and I'm going to get you. Correction is I love you enough to get you where you're supposed to be. And listen, the Bible talks about father. Listen, don't punish your children. Correct them. The goal of correction is to get is to make things good. Punishment is vengeance. And he put this storm on them. Storms will come into your life. Uh, trouble and... and uh, you're going to see in there, from the belly of the fish, he cries out and he says, I am so miserable. How many of you think that God will make people miserable? Yep. Yep. He'll sure do it. Absolutely. You say, what are you smiling about? Because mis- you go through the misery to get to the good stuff. Yep. All right. Who was the greatest worshiper in the Bible? King David. Was he not a happy man? Turn with me to Psalm 32. Did he have times in his life where he got away from God like we all do? But God loved him too much to let him go. Psalm 32 is one of those. Oh, my goodness. I've never understood how the, the Holy Spirit, who is called the comforter, comforter. You ever heard that? He's called the comforter. I've never understood how the comforter can make you so uncomfortable. But he can sure do it when he wants to, can't he? What's it called when the comforter starts making you uncomfortable? That's called conviction. Now, listen, not condemnation. God never beats people up. That's the unholy devil. Psalm 32. I want you to look what David wrote when he was far from God. How he, he was running from God, right here. Verse three. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. How many of you just groaned a whole day long? For you ever been so miserable you just groaned? Why is the man groaning? Is it the devil? Nope. Watch verse four. Day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Who made this man miserable? God made him miserable. Because he loves me too much to leave me in my sin. Watch verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you. My iniquity I have not hidden. I will confess my sin to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And you can read the rest of it. It turns around and all of a sudden he's happy again. All he had to do is just say, I'm sorry. I repent. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. And everything turned around in his life. Another great Psalm. Psalm 51 is the Psalm he wrote after he stole a man's wife, murdered her husband, and he wrote Psalm 51 was the prayer he prayed in the temple when he wanted to get his heart back to God. And in that Psalm, he said, well, listen, he was still God's child. He said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Amen. Then he was listen to me. When, when you're running from God and you will not cooperate, expect storms in your life, financial distress, and misery on the inside. You say, well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad you brought us here tonight to encourage us. Now, I've had Christians ask me say, well, these people live like the devil and they're not bothered. Bingo. That's Hebrews chapter 12 where the Bible says this. The Lord deals with us as with children. If a person is without correction, they are illegitimate. They're not God's children. One of the reasons I know I'm saved, I can't get away with the thing. Now, He don't put cancer on me. God don't put cancer on nobody. Uh, He don't give you flat tires. That was a nail. Where does he correct? Right here. Right here. My heart. He, he brings a heaviness and a burden. He breaks your heart. How I many? listen, I've sinned before. You have too. I've sinned before and just so miserable. And all I got to do is get along and say, I, I am so sorry. This is sin. And I agree. And in one moment, a sweet peace comes right back. Yeah. You know what? You say, well, that, that's mean of him. No, no. What if he were to turn me loose and let me do what I wanted to do apart from him? Everybody self-destructs apart from God it's his kindness. He's serious about his will being done. All right, here's where we get in the fun part. Uh, let's get down in the belly of this fish and see what happens. All right, uh, I want you to look with me. Chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 17. The Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You think that's humanly possible? Listen, the man creates the heavens and everything. You know, my question is, when he came out of there and he started preaching, what do you think he looked like after three days in a fish's belly? The enzymes in that fish's belly working on his britches. You know how your skin looks like when you leave it in water? Think about it being three days inside a fish's gut. Don't you know he looked a sight when he started preaching? No wonder they repented. So he's got this big fish swallows him up. Watch this, this is so funny. Chapter two, I'm sorry, that was one, chapter one, verse seventeen. Chapter one, seventeen. The Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Chapter two, verse one. Then, I love the word then, Jonah prayed to the Lord. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? When things are going good, he's running from him, but when all of a sudden the mess comes, he starts praying to him. This is the goodness of our great God. He'll do whatever he's got to do to get us back toward him again. This is the kindness of the Lord. And it's the funniest prayer that he prayed in this. I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. He answered me out of the belly of hell. I cried out. In case you're wondering, was it fun inside of there? There's a reason he said out of the belly of hell. I cried out from this fish. You heard my voice. You cast me into the deep. And then he talks about how rough it is. Verse seven, my soul fainted within me. I remembered the Lord. My prayer went up to your holy temple. And he's talking about how rough it is. Dear ones, listen to me. He will dump your apple cart upside down to get your face back turned toward him. He'll make everything miserable on the inside. But again, it is not to punish you. This is love's grace to get us turned back toward him. All right. So the great lesson is he's serious about his will being done. All right. Now here, lesson number four. This is the good part. When you will finally say, "Thy will be done, instant relief instant relief. If you'll ever just get your heart right and say whatever you want. I talk to people all the time. What's the number one sin of Christians? I think it's the number one problem in the nation. What's the number one sin of Christians? It's not crack cocaine. And what's the number one sin of Christians? Unforgiveness. Bitterness and unforgiveness. I hear, I see it all the time. People who would never run off with somebody else's wife, people who'd never steal money from the church or any other place, but they'll have a grudge in their heart against somebody. And they'll have, bitter, they'll have something against somebody that did something to them and they just can't forgive. Listen to me. You're going to have to forgive. Mm-hmm. And, and I talk to them and they're miserable. They're just miserable. And they'll judge you. well, you don't know what they did to me. I said, I don't care what they did to you. This is not for their sake. This is for your sake. Right. You've got to forgive. And how many times have I seen people so bitter and angry and on medication because they're so messed up on the inside. And when they would finally say, okay, Okay, pray with me. And they'll pray and say, Father, I forgive them. And usually it's very emotional. Tears, strongholds break, and as soon as they get done praying, you just see a smile come over them and a quietness come over them. And a peace comes back over them. And and you just you just see this. You you just see that don't wrestle with truth and let it go. I had a lady years ago, she wanted to see me, her daughter, she was she was married to a pastor. Her daughter was married to a fine young man in our community, and she ran off with another woman. And then our little country community, this was just, this was back, this was 40 years ago, it was on, 30 years ago is unheard of then. She ran off with another woman, so this pastor's wife came to see me. She was so upset, and she said, it's because of what she's done. I said, no ma'am, it's not because of what she's done. It's because of your anger and your bitterness toward her and toward the other girl. And I said, you're gonna have to forgive. You can't help this thing. You're gonna have to forgive and love and 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 matter of fact we're going to thank god in this situation guess who she's mad at now (laughs) don't shoot me doc i just carry the book and she was so angry at me for saying that and i said it's your life be miserable if you want to and finally in brokenness she said you're right Mm. well i knew i was right because i'd showed her in the bible and I, I'll never forget it. She prayed, tears just wet her skirt with tears. And when she raised her face up, there was a quietness and a beauty and a smile on it. The problem was still there, yeah. but she turned her heart toward God and relief came. Instant relief. Well, let me show you the instant relief. Watch this. <laughs> Jonah verse nine. <clears throat> I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. What does it mean? I'll pay what I've vowed. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I said, I'd follow you and I'm going to do it. What happened the moment, the moment he decided to obey God, what happened? Look at verse 10. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it barfed him up on the shore. (laughs) There was the moment you say, "Thy will be done. Relief. The the peace comes. The problems, God will stop the storm. And I, I just think it's hilarious. Jonas, here's my question is, you're in the belly of a dang fish. How do you think it smelled in there? What's floating around in there? If you read a little bit, he said, I, seaweeds are wrapped around my head. It took him three days to get right with God in the belly of that fish. You're crazy. Son, I'd have been right with God in 15 minutes. I said, I'm getting out of here. He stayed in there and wrestled with God for three days. Finally, he said, I ain't doing so good. And he prayed this prayer. I'll do what you told me to do. The moment he changed his heart, God changed his mind. And done. How many times I've seen people that finally just say, it's not their fault. I'm sorry. I repent. And a quietness and a peace comes over them. Dear ones, thy will be done brings instant relief. Let me ask you a question. How long are you going to wrestle with God? Why would you wrestle with somebody that big to start with? When I was in high school, I wrestled at the 195 weight, which is as high as you go. We went unlimited. Unlimited is capped now, but when I was in high school, it was unlimited. It doesn't matter how big you are. I think it's 260, 280 now. Well, our unlimited guy, his name was Lump Collins. He weighed about 415 or 420, depending on what he had for breakfast that day. He weighed well over 400 pounds, more than twice my size. Well, of course, we wrestled. We practiced every day together. Well, guess who got to wrestle with him? Because I was the next one down. And he was a black guy. I loved him to death. I helped with his funeral. He stood about that tall and weighed 400 pounds. And uh, if I could stay away from it, but if he got on you, keep kicking all you want to, but you, it's over. Best thing you can do is just go ahead and wave your white flag. Listen to me. When God gets on you, you need to go ahead and run up to white flag and just say, I'll do what I said I'd do. And... Boom, instantly, peace. And the fish spit him up, turned him loose out there. Thy will be done is instant relief. Dear ones, listen, do not be angry. Don't stew. Quit calling your friend and telling him how rotten they are. Just tell God, I'll do what you want me to do. Hey, don't you want peace in your life? Yes. Don't you want joy in your life? Don't you want the storm to stop? I'm telling you, you can't outstorm the man. You can't outrun him. You can't out whoop him. You ain't bigger than he is. Give in. The man is serious about it and he loves you. And the deal is, we, I, I amaze me. Why would I wrestle with somebody that big? All right, number five. God is always working in your life, always. Even when he's silent, he is not still. Look at me in chapter three, verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. I bet you he's listening this time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to the message that I tell you. What happened? Our God had a plan for this man's life. This man derailed God's plan for his life with his own rebellion, wanting to do his own thing. God worked in his life to bring him to the point where he said, I can't fight you. Thy will be done. And he was right back in business again. And his plan continued. I do listen, if you're not in the grave, his plan hadn't stopped yet. And he was all, he's always working in your life to bring you to the best plan possible. And this is what he found out. If you, you just, God is working in his life. Listen, here's one of the greatest verses. I've, I learned this verse when I was just a little. Well, I've never been a little preacher. In fact, I'm as little as I've ever been now. But it's a young preacher, I just started, and I memorized Philippians 2:13. God is working in you to will and to work for His good pleasure. If He is this close right here, and He's working in your life, you say, "Well, this looks terrible." He might be in it. And it was that he is always working in your life to bring His plan to pass. I don't care if you're 105. If you're breathing, He's got a plan for your life. And He's always working. To, now listen, you don't have to do it. Amen. Live in the belly of that fish if you want to. Mm-hmm. Yikes. But it was, He's always working in your life to will and work for His good pleasure. Let me remind you again. When He's silent, He is not still. There's times where God's just quiet, but He's never still. He's always working. Jonah, my dear friend Jonah... Do you ever notice how that this man ran in that direction, Yad yada, and stuff? But God got him where he wanted him to be, even in his rebellion. God's going to get you in his best plan, even if you run from him. And no doubt in my mind, I am where I'm supposed to be at this point in my life. Everything in my life was a connection of God that put me in the right place at the right time to do his best plan. And I've stumbled, I've failed, I've missed it, I've run in the wrong direction, but he never gives up. He's always working to get you to the best place and get to the best place for His best plan. All right. Now listen to me. This is, where the, this is where the shift comes between just an average life and a blessed life. God's plans always have God's power and blessing on them. If you get in God's plan, you're going to see His hand. His plan has His hand. I want you to watch. All right. He told Jonah, he said, go preach to Nineveh and tell them what I've got to say. So Jonah... On the second try he went, again, I'd love to see what he looked like when he walked into town with those bleached clothes. So he walks into town and verse three, Jonah chapter three, verse three, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Three days journey, just verse four, Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. He cried out and said, 40 days Nineveh will be destroyed. That's his whole message. He didn't introduce his message. He didn't give a scripture. He didn't give any hope. He just said in 40 days, you're gonna be destroyed. That's his whole message. That's what he sent to preach. Watch what happened. But now listen to me. Nineveh was a wicked, wicked place. They practiced terrible perversion. It was an evil place. And this preacher comes in town with his clothes half-eat off, wrinkled like a prune from the fish's belly. And he stands up in the public square and he says, in 40 days, this place will be destroyed. Watch what happens. Verse 5. The people of Nineveh believed God proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. These people fell on their faces and turned to God in repentance and mercy. You think Jonah did that? Jonah didn't do that. If Jonah had gone in there by himself, they'd have cussed him out and shot him down. Dear ones, when you obey God, you'll see God. This was the hand of God. Dear ones, listen to me. If you'll just say, thy will be done and just do what he says, you will find him there with you american christianity has become what can we do for god it's what can god do for people and he needs people to help you now listen to me if you're going to raise children you need god's hand on your family if you're going to help people where you work at you got to have god's hand on it and when this man obeyed god and how many of you know it? you're going into this wicked city and your message is destruction well if he told me he said go to las vegas stand up in the public square and tell him i'm going to blow the place up in a month oh wouldn't i look forward to that I might be on a bowhead somewhere. But listen to me. If you'll obey Him, you'll see His hand. Yeah. Jonah stood up and said, you're going to be destroyed. The whole crowd hit their faces. Guess who was behind that? That wasn't Jonah. That was the touch of God. There was, if you'll do what the man says, you'll see his hand on what you're doing. Whether it's, whatever it is, whatever, you're, whatever He's called you into. Now I want to get to the part that's so important. We are going to look at the heart of God. I want you to see the heart of God in this book. The Bible said in chapter 3, Verse 9, they, they just repented. They told Him they're sorry. They turned to God. Verse 10, God saw their works. They turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster He said He would bring upon them. He did not do it. Did He want to destroy them? No, He wanted to be good to them. And He sent the message and it changed their hearts and immediately, immediately He changed His heart toward them. I want you to look with me in chapter 4, verse 2. He prayed to the Lord and said, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? I fled previously to tarfish. Watch this, because I know you're a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant and loving in kindness, one who turns from doing harm. One of the greatest verses in the Bible. God didn't want to destroy them people. He is gracious and He wanted to help them. He wanted to be good to them. You know, when you, people are in just a mess with their lives and you grab them and you say, you can't do this anymore. You're not mad at him. You want them to have the greatest life possible. And Jonah quotes this great truth about the father. And we, we see this in scripture. One of the greatest lessons ever, all through the Bible about the goodness of the Lord. Look at me in chapter four, verse 11. Should I not have a tender heart toward Nineveh, that great city? By the way, this is the largest city in the world at the time. 120,000 people, largest city in the world. And he wanted to be good to them, in which are more than 120,000 people who can't discern between their right hand and their left much livestock. What's the heart of God through this whole thing? I want to be good to these people. I want to bless them. They're destroying themselves with their lifestyle. I want to be good to them. I had a friend one time. She was a different. She ran a restaurant in my first little country church. And uh, just a beautiful girl. She was single, and uh, maybe in her later 20s. And. she got hooked up with this guy and he was a bad influence. He got her hooked on crack and he liked to killed her. And you know, she did her, the employees ran the restaurant. She couldn't even come to work. And then I heard that she was in, she couldn't even get out of bed. Crack had ruined her life so bad. She down to that, nothing. Beautiful girl. And uh, now I'm, I, I was young then. You know what it means when I say I was young then? I'm trying to cover my tracks before I tell you what I did. Now we're way out in the country, so you can do this out there. I got so ill at what he'd done to that girl. And I knew she was going to die from drugs that he'd got her on like that. So I took two deacons with me, younger guys that were sort of out of my vein. I said, we're going to go to that house. You hold him while I get her. I'm taking her out of there. I wouldn't do that now because I'm older. I'd, I'd, uh, I don't know why I keep apologizing. I just need to go ahead and tell you what I did. And we went over, went in the house, and he said, hey, how you doing? He knew me as the local preacher. And I could see through the door back there. She's laying in the bed about to die. And I said to my guys, hold him. And I went back. I just picked her up like a baby. and just uh, She was about to die. And just carried her out and put her in the truck. Drove off with her. I hollered back. You can turn him loose now. <laughs> he was ill. And she was ill a little bit. Let me tell you something. When you love people, you're going to do what's best for them. Right. And thank God <laughs> she, she got some help. We got her some help. She got straightened out. She, was, she got her weight back. She looked great. She recovered. And in the kindness of God, that that clown, mm. he got saved. Mm, we became best friends, and him and his family visited here a few weeks ago. <laughs> but you know, you said, why, "Why were you? Why did you go take that poor girl out?" Of, I was ugly of you to go in there and hold him like that. The living God did this because He wanted to help them. Sometimes you do things to help people that they don't appreciate till later. Yeah. We're dear friends now, dear ones. It is the kindness of God. To do what he does because he wants you to have the greatest life. He has one goal in his life. His life. Your life. I've come that they might have abundant life. He is trying to be good to you. And he does whatever he has to do to be good to them. This is the heart of God to help them as it is. Listen, God so loved the world that he gave his son. That whosoever would come to him could have a great life now and for all of eternity. I love 2 Samuel 9.3 that says this. The king asks, is there somebody out there that I can show the loving kindness of God to? He's trying to be good to you. The whole Bible just screams he's trying to be good to you. Do what the man says so he can be good to you. Now, one of the greatest, the greatest lie ever told, it was told in Genesis 3. Here's the lie. God will mess your life up. God will rob you of what you want to do. You can have a better life apart from God. Greatest lie ever told, still being told today. It is a lie. Now, dear ones, the greatest truth ever told, the greatest truth ever told is in Jonah 4, 2, where it said, the Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, abundant in mercy. His plan for you is great. All righty. And I want you to see something here. Last thing, the spirit of religion and how ugly it is. I talk a lot about the spirit of religion. The spirit of religion is a demon spirit that masquerades as religion. And I'm going to show you the difference in it. All right, let's get on my friend Jonah here. Look back with me in chapter, uh, 10, chapter 3, verse 10. The father saw their repentance. He said, I'm not going to hurt him. I'm going to be good to him. Verse, chapter 4, verse 1. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. Why is the preacher mad? What's he so mad about? You know why he's mad? Because God forgave these people, and he's mad about it now. Maybe this preacher's got an attitude problem here. So these people, were, he preaches the message. You're going to be destroyed. I think he enjoyed telling them you're going to be destroyed. That's the spirit of religion. wants will see people destroyed for their sins. And they repented. So God forgave them. Now Jonah's mad because they got forgiven. He said, I was hoping you'd destroy him. <laughs> and he says, he's a follower of God. Didn't you see the other way he said, I'm a worshiper of God. And, uh, this is, the, this is the silliest, craziest thing. Verse two, and he prayed to the Lord, and said, oh, Lord, was this not what I said? Now we know why he didn't want to go. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to go because God was so good and he, he knew God would forgive those people. I didn't want to come help these people down here. I just wanted to judge them and see them destroyed. That's the spirit of religion wants to destroy people. Listen to me. Here's, here's what spirit of religion is. It has the rules of God, but it doesn't have the heart of God. It's got the rules of God, The Bible, but it doesn't have the heart of God to help people. Where is this displayed so clearly in the New Testament? We won't look at it. John chapter 8. Jesus is in the temple teaching. A woman is caught in adultery. She's sleeping with a man she's not married to. I don't know where the dude was. Last time I checked, it took two to commit adultery. Can I get a witness? Men are always getting off scotch free. Can I get a witness, girls? All right. Anyway, they bring the girl, and these preachers bring the girl and said, She broke God's law. She deserves to be killed. Well, they're right they had god's law but what did they not have they didn't have god's heart for and jesus said you want to talk about breaking rules tell me about the rules you've broken and all of a sudden they didn't have anything to say and they all disappeared and jesus said to her, where are your accusers she said no one condemns me lord he said neither do i start over send them or start over see the difference between those two religion wants to kill you because you messed up that's the rules of the bible without the heart of god jesus wants to help you start over that's the rule. Did Jesus keep the rules? Did he call what she was doing sin? Yes. But what did he say? Let's get a better life. Let's start over. Doings. make sure that the, listen, the spirit of religion is dangerous. It's gotten on, it gets on me. Is it ever? Well, I'm not going to ask. It gets on me once in a while. I just think, I ought to straighten them out. Mm-hmm. you got to always have the heart of God for people when you talk to them. I don't care what they've done. Jesus had the law of God, but he had the heart of God too. Yeah. And Jonah had the rules of God, He had the wrath of God. I watched a big overweight Baptist preacher preach one night. He shook the whole time, preached about righteous indignation. It was just plain old demonic anger. It was just ugliness is what it was because he didn't care about the people. Dear ones, Jesus cares about people. He cares about you personally. And he cannot let people live in sin because sin destroys people. But he cares about people. God cared about these people, but Jonah didn't. And Jonah had this terrible attitude, this this religious spirit about him. Now you want to see how crazy people get when they're religious? Watch this, verse three, therefore, O Lord, please take my life. It's better for me to die than to live. Well, pity your pitiful self. He is so mad because God didn't kill these people. Now he wants to die. I, I can't wait to meet Jonah in heaven. I hope he's straightened out by the time he gets there or when I get there. Verse 4, the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? What are you so mad about, son? Jonah went out of the city, sat on the east side of the city, made himself a shelter and sat in it in the shade till they might see what would become of the city. He just turns around, walks off from God. God asks a question. He do not even answer. He just walks off. He goes up, sits down on a hill like a little girl scout, bow-legged, cross-legged and sits there to see if God will destroy him. Is this a preacher with an attitude or what? You'd be surprised how many preachers I've met got this attitude right here. I met people. They preached to me and fussed at me. And I just, when I was such a pagan, I knew you don't care about me. You don't care whether I live or die. You just want to preach. I'm living in some drug shack apartment in downtown Charlotte. I was 15 years old. I moved away from home, living in this rundown drug shack, had mattresses on the floor. They were nasty. We were living in that mess. And uh, somebody knocked on the door one night and I went to it, opened the door. And there stood a lady from my mother's church. She's about four foot high and four foot wide. And she started preaching to me. I had a big old Bible there and just preached to me. You Look what you've done to your poor mama. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Do you know what God's going to do to you? And I remember thinking, if you wasn't a lady, I'd knock you out. You know what? She didn't care about me. She could, she, I, if I'd have gone to hell, she'd have been happy. Just a religious spirit. Listen to me. If it's God, He cares about the people. His only goal is to help people. I mean, you don't give your son for somebody to not care about him. Why do so many people reject Jesus? They hadn't seen Jesus, they saw religion. They saw the rules without the heart. And Jonah's sitting on, he's just like a little toad sitting in mad. He's thinking maybe God will change his mind and kill him. How'd you like to have him for revival? Y'all looking for a new preacher? Call Jonah, see if he'll come. Verse six. The Lord God prepared. You want to see the kindness of God. What would y'all do with this pouting preacher? I'd slap him senseless. But let me show you the goodness of God. Look what God does for this bad attitude. Verse six, the Lord God prepared a plant, made it come up over Jonah so it could be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. He's sitting there in the burning sun hoping God will kill these people. Let me show you how good God is. In his kindness, he starts a plant growing right behind him. Apparently it grew real fast. Must have been kudzu. So... This plant grows and this plant grows over his head and provides shade for Jonah. Is that the kindness of God or what? I mean, if God will be good to you even you've got a bad attitude. That's right. <laughs> but he's not done with him yet. And made the plant come over him. And Jonah was very grateful for the plant. I guess he was. As the morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm and damaged the plant and killed it. So God, he's, he's in this shade. The next morning, he's still sitting out there like a toad waiting for God to kill these people, even God being good to him. So God sends worms says, eat that plant, and the plant dies and falls down. You talk about an attitude. Religious people are weird, <laughs> and uh, God prepared a worm, verse 7, and damaged that. Verse 8, it happened when the sun arose, God prepared a violet east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. How many times is God going to have to mess this guy up? How many times is he going to have to dump his life upside down to get him to obey him? So now he kills the plant and he tells the sun, I mean if God owns the sun, crank it up a notch and shine on his bald head. And he the sun just bears down on him till he almost faints. I think he did faint. And uh then he wished death for himself. said, it's better for me to die. Just kill me. Just be careful of that stinking attitude. Verse 9. God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? He says, it's right for me to be angry. Now he's mad because the plant died. Kill me because the plant died. I'm telling you, people are weird. But what do you see through this whole thing? Look at the kindness of God. He just keeps trying to reach this man. Keeps trying to work with him. Dear ones... You have never measured the patience of the living God. He's just so good to him. The Lord's verse 10. The Lord said, you had pity on a plant. You didn't for it. You didn't make it grow. He said, you're feeling sorry for this plant. Here's the great verse. Should I not have pity on none of that great city? 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left. You're, you're upset because of this plant, but you don't care about the people. Look at God trying to talk to religious people and even to us saying guys it's not about the building it's not about the program it's not about the earrings or the nose rings or the pink hair it's about the people he's trying to get this preacher to say i'm trying to help people and uh and and it ends like that Jonah's probably still complaining now he's probably buried sitting right there cross-legged on that hill waiting for something bad to happen who knows what happened to this crazy preacher but this is the heart of God. Listen, let me, let me help you here. Beware of the spirit of religion. Uh, here's my prophecy. I don't think most of you, y'all are probably not going to get off, you're probably not going to get on drugs again. I can't get one amen out of that. You're probably not going to rob a bank. I promise you, I'm not going to run off with the piano player. Especially if Daniel's one playing it that day. Here's what I'm saying. There's a lot of stuff that we won't get caught with. This is the dangerous sin for people that follow Jesus. That spirit of religion that you to look down your nose at people will be hard on them instead of having the heart of God toward them. God. That's why Jesus said. I remember Dr. J.L. Williams preached on a Wednesday night here. He said, "Beware of the of the leaven of the Pharisees." You know what leaven is, don't you? It influences. You put leaven in bread, it influences. And he preached, beware of the leaven of the, beware of a religious spirit that'll have an influence in your life and cause you to be hard on people without having the heart of God for them. Always soften your heart. That's, I was visiting with a lady, we were at City Hall the night for swearing in and the, the new mayor, she grabbed me, she said, this lady said, I just love my preacher. She said, you know why I love him so much? I thought, it's probably because I'm a great speaker. Probably, she said, if he can get into heaven, I can. <laughs> Fine fine. If I help you get there for that reason, so be it. But the, listen, religion always wants to destroy. I, I can't tell you how many times I was abused after becoming a Christian before and after becoming a Christian by that spirit of religion. You would run to Jesus, run from religion, run from a guy like Jonah. All right. Let me, let me quit by saying anytime you read the Bible, don't just read the story, say to the Holy Spirit. Now, what, how does this apply to my life? What do you, If you just get a story out of it, it's no good. I mean, it's a great novel, but the Bible is God speaking to you. You ever heard me say that before? Ask him, just ask him, say, what are you saying to me? And then listen in your mind and he'll put something in your mind and tell you, this is what I want to say to you about this. Always make sure you apply the Bible to your personal life. Let me give you a couple of things that we learned from the book of John. Number one, God is so good. I start every day with the same verse. It's in the Bible six times. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for He is good. I ran from Him for years. I didn't know. When I found out how good He is, I run to Him every morning now. The Lord is, you see the goodness of God in this thing. Number two. (laughs) Ask me if I know this from the Bible or personal experience. You better let Him have His way. (coughs) You tough, but you ain't that tough. Let the man have His way. Number three. You know what I see in here? God is determined to be good to you. He has made up his mind. He's going to be good to you. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, this is Romans uh, 11, 29, it says this, God never changes his mind about who he decides to bless and be good to you. Some Bibles read it like this, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. He never changes. Another translation said, God never changes his mind when he decides to be good to somebody. Run from him, he'll run you down. Make a mistake, he'll pick you up. Have a stinking attitude like Jonah, he'll keep working with you. But he is determined to be good to you. And let me show you one last thing. I pray for my nation every day. I love America. I am a flat, red, white, blue card. I love America. I've been to other nations. I know how good we've got it here. I love being free. I've been blessed in this nation. I love my nation. God bless this nation. But our nation's in trouble. And uh, I hear the pundits, I hear people, our nation's in trouble because we put our fist in God's face. It, it's that simple. Our nation's in trouble because we put our fist in God's face. And I hear people talking about, I hear preachers talking about how God's going to destroy America. And you know what I hear? I hear the spirit of Jonah. I don't hear the heart of God. Mark Walker's visiting our congressman. We were here for a preacher's meeting. He met some preachers here to do a briefing. And uh, I was praying for the nation. And he said, I've never thought about this." He said, I've never seen this. I said, Mark, when I pray for America, I always go back to the book of Jonah. Nineveh was a wicked city. They were were making child sacrifices. They were evil and perverted with all kinds of garbage. And yet, what did the Bible say? I want you to read this verse. Read the last verse in the Bible in Jonah. Should I not have pity? What's pity mean? Tender heart. Should I not have a tender heart on this wicked city? This great city, more than 120,000 persons, watch this, who cannot discern their right hand from their left. What does that tell you? What does that tell you right there? They don't mean to sin against me. They don't know what they're doing. They don't have their fist in my face and know it. There was people that are in rebellion against God. Most of them don't know it. What did Jesus say in Luke chapter 23 when he was nailed on the cross and he prayed for the people who nailed him to the cross? Remember what he said? Father, forgive them they don't know what they're doing those people really don't know what they're doing when you meet people that just are tearing up lives and tearing up homes and tearing up our nation they don't know what they're doing they think they're doing right a religious spirit wants to blast them God wants to help them and so when I pray for America here's my prayer here's here's the bottom line of this deal his kindness is greater than your blindness see these people don't know their right hand from the jesus said pray that, forgive them they don't know what they're doing when i pray for america I always praise him and thank you i thank you that your kindness is still greater than our blindness yeah. romans chapter 5 says this where my sin abounded his kindness much more abounded god's kinder than my sin was to me thank god i saw it and repented and now my life's been blessed because of that i'm going to tell you something god still has a plan for this nation Now, when I hear preachers that want to see this nation destroyed because of their sins, that's not the spirit of God. That's the spirit of Jonah that wants to blow this place up. I pray for this nation every day. I love this land. I want to see this nation revived because I'm going to be stepping off this ball for long. I mean, not today if I can help it, but I'm going to be stepping off. What about my children? What about my grandchildren? What about your children? We're going to teach these things to our children, but I I want them to get what I got. And when you pray for people, always remember this. Your kindness is greater than our blindness. I mean, we're in our blindness and His kindness is there. We met one night here to pray for a young man that was on drugs and all screwed up. I said, let's just meet and pray. So different ones of us are praying. And one of my ladies, she prayed this prayer. She said, oh God. And I recognize it. she quoted from James chapter four, in wrath, remember mercy. Let your mercy be kind. God's mercy is bigger than His wrath. Amen. Yeah. A lot of religious people don't like that, but His kindness is greater than my blindness. And uh, let me point this out. If you're praying for somebody, go to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, if you got children that are far from God and running, go to the book of Jonah and say, do to them what you did to Jonah. <laughs> Send a storm, rock their world upside down, let them get arrested, make it a mess, bankrupt them, make them miserable. Do whatever you got to do, oh, Father, to get them back to you. And, and listen, in his great kindness, he likes that kind of stuff. And bring them to the point to where you can bless their lives again. I told a fellow today we're praying about something. And I said, sometimes you don't know how to pray. But when you're praying right there, you always know how to pray. Let me give you one of the greatest verses you'll ever hear on prayer. If you want to pray for somebody, it's in 2 Timothy. It says this, God desires. How many of you believe that the God of heaven has got some desires? Guess what His desires are? God desires all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And by truth, I don't mean facts. What, what two things always go together? You'll know the truth, and the truth will make you You want to be free? You've got to walk in truth. God desires every person to be saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, we used to... Let me help you with your praying. Somebody's getting crazy. They're going, you're praying for somebody. You want, to, you want things to be fixed in their lives. Kids, parents, whatever, friends. And, oh, God, please, oh, please, please. And it's like we're trying to work something up. Just rear back and say, I will be done go get, I tell them, like, go get them, Lord Jesus. Sick the hounds of heaven after them and run them down, haunt them, wreck their car, tell them to break up their relationship, lose their job, make life miserable for them. I love to pray like that. I love to pray for it. Just as surely as he brought that storm down on Jonah, because you remember me and you, we think 24 hours in advance. God looks way down the road. I want the best for you for the long haul. That's why I love this book so much. It shows us the heart of God. Run from the heart of religion, but always have the heart of God. Now, I'm done. Let me just ask you a personal question. Anybody ever been there, done that? You ever been in a storm before because of your rebellion? You ever been where he just hems you up and pins you in and, and love surrounds you and gets like that? And the most wonderful place in the world to be. Let me remind you again. Cry out from the belly of the fish and say, Thy will be done. There's many a time where I just said, I am so sorry. I repent and then I got real quiet. I wanted to hear Bleh. I want him to speak to that fish and spit me out of this misery. All right, the goodness of our great God. I love this book right here. I love what he's doing in our lives. I love what he's doing in your life too. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to leave you with this verse. I want you to remember, let's memorize this verse together. Philippians 1, 6. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it till the day of Jesus. He will. I don't care if you run. I don't care if you fail. If you're failing could cause him to stop helping you, he'd have quit a long time ago. That's true. You're not going to stop him from helping you. Lord Jesus, I want to praise you and thank you. I pray tonight that we would be delivered from the spirit of religion, which is the spirit of Jonah that wanted to see people get what they deserved instead of seeing them helped. The spirit of the elder brother that was mad because the father was so good to that prodigal. The spirit of the Pharisee that looked down his nose at the sinner who was begging God for mercy. I just want to praise you and thank you that you are merciful and gracious, slow to anger, long-suffering, and patient. The Lord is good to all, and your tender mercies are over all your works, your word says. I want to thank you tonight for your goodness. I need the goodness of God. And I thank you and praise you. Father, I just, I humbly confess, if it was me, I'd be a little rougher at times to make them do right. Thank God it's not me. I praise you that you are you and your ways are higher than our ways. I wanna pray for anybody in this room tonight that's still struggling with whether to follow you or not. Lord Jesus, I, I pray for them in Jesus' name. Go after them. Let them know that the only way to have what you're looking for in life is to run up the white flag and say, I surrender all. Jesus, you are Lord. I thank you for how fast you restore things when people repent i give you all the praise and glory so tonight we commit to beware of the leaven of the pharisees which is a religious spirit that causes us to want to burn people up rather than care about their true condition and i want to thank you for the spirit of jesus spirit of god that said if i have to die on a cross to help you i'll do it dear jesus you you would do that, you're serious about helping us. All right, now I pray for everybody in this room, everybody in this room that's struggling. Our uh, future looks a little rough right now. Uncertainty. Spirit of God, come. Come, dear Holy Spirit, and assure them of the grace and mercy of God. Assure them that what you started, you'll finish. Thank you for everybody who's here tonight. I long for God to rule in people's lives, every area, so they can know the peace and the goodness and the grace of God. I thank you for your kindness and your mercy and your grace. I bless you because of your great love. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.